0: so good to be home and this really is you know home this is where carol and i had our three children right out here at huma region well actually our last one we had over at 761st street but this is uh this is home and i'm honored beyond words to be here carol sends you her love and uh the church that you planted in australia 35 years ago sends you their love as well and really, Vanessa, it was this Faith Promise card 35 years ago that sent Jack and Carol and three babies. By the way, we're expecting our seventh grandbaby now in Australia. But, but when Pastor asked us to go, uh, all of the funds to go came from here. And we were there six months, and we introduced the Faith Promise card to... A little group of 35 people and from that first time 35 years ago uh, we've been doing faith promise giving as well and so the faith promise giving that we're doing is from the seed that you sowed those years ago and this year in our faith promise giving we're opening a thousand eyes in India through cataract surgeries we're paying for a thousand cataract surgeries this year through faith promise giving You're, you're part of that you're part of that Every day in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, we feed just under 2,000 prisoners in Bakavu. In Africa, if you're in prison and your family doesn't bring you food, you don't eat because the prison doesn't provide food. Many, many prisoners go three and four days without eating anything. Prisoners have starved in prison. And so, we took on a project through Faith Promise Giving this last year, and every single day, we provide a meal for just under 2,000 prisoners. That's, I think, around 800,000 meals that we're providing this year. Jesus said, I was hungry, and you fed me. He also said, I was in prison, and you came to me. All of that is happening because we, like Vanessa, have a DNA that... Birthed us, and now we are carrying that forward into the next generation. And so, this this is so powerful. And I love the way that you said it. We we, we, what what can I give? What could I give up? And what could I believe God for? So, this is the beginning of four weeks of I think something really spectacular and special. And what an honor to be here with Pastor Messer, and uh, we just you know can't honor him enough. And love him. I was 35 years old 35 years ago when he asked us to go to Australia. And uh, wow, that lets you know that I'm about, what, 60 right now or something like that. (laughs) Reach your hand out towards me, please, and pray for me. Heavenly Father, I look out right now and I see friends that I have literally known for decades. And Lord, many of us in this room (laughs) are growing old together. And then I see many beautiful, young, and new and fresh faces. And what an honor. And so I pray in these next few minutes, Holy Spirit, you would just allow me to share your word. And I pray your word would give us life. And I pray your word would change our life. We would give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to talk to you today about from woe to go. I grew up, you know... Here in Yuma, and back in my day, it was the other way around. It was from go to woe. But on this mission Sunday, I want to talk about from woe to go, because go is what Jesus commanded us to do. So how do we get from woe, 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 woe to go? Because Jesus says in Mark 16 and verse 15, Go. The so pastor asked us to do 35 years ago. Go, would you go? Go and do all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go. And then he says in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 37, "The harvest is great. How many believe that? And do you believe that maybe after a global pandemic, And after a shaking of things that people thought were stable and sure, do you think maybe now the harvest is even greater than it has ever been before in our life? That maybe people are more open and more ready for some kind of an anchor and some kind of a hope than we have ever been before because we never knew that we could be shook like we've been? Jesus said the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the fields. I was thinking about this scripture last night up at the Holiday Inn, just before I went to sleep. And I was thinking about the lettuce fields here in Yuma. I don't know if it's still the case, but as I recall some years ago, we used to be like the number one lettuce producer in the world. Capital, right? Is it still? Well, and I, you know, all, all my life, I can, thousands, 10,000s of, of acres of lettuce. And I can't tell you how many times I've driven up and down the, the road or the highway and there are buses and there are workers out there. But as I was going to sleep last night, I had this, I was thinking of this scripture. The harvest is great, but the labor's a few. And I saw thousands of green acres of lettuce here in Yuma, but only a handful of buses. And I thought, what's going to happen to all that lettuce? Thousands and thousands of... The harvest is ripe, but as I was going to sleep, I was thinking of only a few dozen buses to harvest it all. And I thought of the tragedy of the waste of all of that. But how many know this scripture is way more impacting, because it's not lettuce that we're talking about. We're talking about boys and girls and men and women, moms and dads. We're talking about people. And so I want to ask the question this morning, why are the workers so few? And it's because there's more woe than there is go. It's because the church, the workers, the, it's because the... It's because those who have been harvested have more woe in them than they have go in them. In Australia, we would say because there's more shirkers than there are workers. Shirkers, when you shirk, I don't know if that's a, we say that in America. Is that an American word? I know it's an Aussie word. Because it's easier to delay than obey. And so what has to happen to me? Because something has to happen to me. What has to happen in our heart before we embrace this last command of Jesus? Go. That's the last command of Jesus. That's the culmination of a thousand days of discipleship. That's the culmination of every village and miracle and sign and wonder and teaching. Three years. And now Jesus says at the end of it all, go. Go. This is his last command. And it must become our first priority. So what has to happen in my heart before that last command takes hold of me and truly becomes not just a part of me, but the biggest part of me? What's the process? What's the progression that produces in me a mission's mandate and a mission's mindset? What's the progression so that, that, that changes my mind to make me think like Jesus wants me to think in these last days? And so I want to talk about that for a few minutes. And we see this in Isaiah, or as the Aussies say, Isaiah, chapter 6 and verse 8. When we get to the 8th verse of chapter 6, here's what happens. Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the master. Now, if you read this in the context, the master's not even talking to him. He just hears. He overhears. He overhears. I overheard the voice of the Lord. Actually, last night, Pastor and I drove down 8th Street, and we went out to Avenue C to Little Valley Baptist Church, where in 1962, uh, an older couple had asked my mother. I'm the oldest of six children. We lived on 14th Avenue and 8th Street. And an older couple, out of the blue, this was a different day in 1962, but an older couple knocked on my mother's door and said, could we take your children to Sunday school? And she said, well, you can take the older four. So I'm the oldest, and so the four of us got in the car, of this older couple, and went several blocks down the road to Avenue C. And Valley Baptist Church down there has a little row of doors and little Sunday school rooms, and my Sunday school class was over. So I walked two doors down for my little brother Gary for his Sunday school class, and I was leaning against the door, like the, the door's here, and I was just leaning, but it was open, and I overheard. His teacher, his Sunday school teacher, say, all you have to do is ask Jesus to come into your heart. I had never heard the gospel before. I was 10 years old. And the first time I didn't hear it, I overheard it. The first time I overheard the gospel, I asked Jesus, leaning against that door, that Sunday school teacher didn't even know I was there, she didn't even know I could hear what she was saying, but when she said that, I asked Jesus to come in to my heart, and in that moment, in an instant, I knew that I would be a preacher for the rest of my life, and I knew I'd never heard the gospel, I didn't know anything, it was this random act that some couple knocks on our door that Sunday, drives us down the street, I'm standing outside and I'm overhearing, and in a moment, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And I knew in that day I would be a preacher and I would go to the nations of the world from a non-Christian family. You know, sometimes it's not just hearing something, it's overhearing something. I heard, I overheard the voice of the master. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I spoke up. It's kind of like me leaning around the corner of the door. I'll go, send me. So here's Isaiah. Like from woe to go. How did he come to that? How did he get to that? That's not how the chapter starts. That's not how we see it in verse 1. You have to get to verse 8 for that to happen. What happens to Isaiah between verse 1 and verse 8? And that's what I want us to look at. Because something happened to him that moved him from woe to go. And I believe it's the same thing that must happen to me. And I believe it's the same thing that must happen to you. So how do you and I get our heart in a place like that? He didn't ask. He didn't ask where. He didn't ask when. He didn't ask how long. He didn't even ask how much. He just said, I will. I will. What happened to him? Dude, I mean, something seriously happened to that man. What happened to him that turned him into someone who was willing to go? Well, let's look at it because this is the process. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the year the king died, in the year of political unrest, in the year of uncertainty and ambiguity, and in the year of insecurity, I saw the Lord while the earth was in chaos and covered in madness and people didn't know who to look to and who to trust and where to go. I saw the Lord and he was sitting on a throne while the world was wonky. And that's my granddaughter's favorite word, wonky. I had to get it in a sermon. While the world was wonky and wobbly and woozy, Isaiah has a vision of God on a throne. The king was dead. The government was in disarray, but God was on a throne. Verse 2. Angel seraphs hovered above him each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, their feet. And with two wings, they flew. And they called back and forth to one another. Holy, holy, holy is God of the angel armies. His bright glory fills the whole earth. So Isaiah saw God's glory. Now, you know, when Moses asked to see God's glory, God hid him in the cleft of the rock. And God said, I will pass by you while you're hid in the rock. But here's what the book of Exodus tells us And God caused his goodness to pass before him. Moses said, Let me see your glory. And God said, Okay. And he showed him his goodness. His goodness passed before him. Oh, Lord, let me see your glory. All right, let me hide you. And here comes my goodness. My goodness passed before him. And he couldn't look because you can't look at that kind of goodness and you can't look at that kind of glory as a human being and stay connected with your cells and your DNA because it's just gonna, it's just gonna, because you can't look at God and live and you can't look at that glory and live. I mean, the sun and all of its brightness is like, even the Yuma sun is like a little pinprick compared to the glory of the goodness of God. And a heart for missions begins with a vision of God's glory and God's goodness. We think it begins with the need. No, that's where it ends. But it begins with a vision of the goodness of God. And so here's this amazing progression. Isaiah, king's dead. Isaiah has his vision of God in all of his glory and all of his goodness. And then something happens. It's kind of like Wiley e. Coyote chasing the roadrunner. You know, our favorite Arizona characters. And you know the the Wiley e. Coyote he's you know beep, beep 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 and he's chasing and and at some point the roadrunner the roadrunner turns a corner and the coyote misses it. And he's suspended in animation. In the air, we all see that scene in our mind. This is the kind of moment that Isaiah is just about to have. He's about to have in a moment just like that. He's, he's the glory, the goodness, the glory. And then all of a sudden, I'm a sinful man. Whoops. I'm a sinful man in the presence of God's glory. And all of a sudden, Isaiah is aware of his guilt. In the presence of the glory. And it's like, oops. And he says this, verse five it's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. And yet I've seen with all my filthy lips and my filthy friends and my filthy life, yet I have seen the king of the Lord of of heaven's armies. Another translation, he says, woe is me, I'm undone. Another translation, he says, doom, it's doomsday. He said, I'm as good as dead. Now, could there ever be two more extremes? than to be in the presence of God's glory and completely aware of your guilt. We're talking about as two far apart things as anything could be. To look up and see God full of glory and to look down and see myself full of guilt. He's undone. He's doomed. He's damned. He's a dead man. Next verse. Then, one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And he touched my lips. You know, my filthy lips? He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now, your guilt. Is gone. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. Walk with me, walk with me from the glory to the guilt to the grace. The grace of God that my guilt is gone, the grace of God that my filthiness is cleansed, that it is washed, that I'm clean in a moment. And Isaiah didn't do a thing. He couldn't do a thing. What could Isaiah ever do in a thousand lifetimes to make himself not guilty before God? There's nothing you can do to make yourself not guilty before God. There's nothing I can do. And in a moment, well, in total desperation, God does for Isaiah what he could never do for himself in a thousand obediences and a thousand sacrifices. And th- in one moment, God touches him and his guilt is gone and his sin is forgiven. That, my family, is grace. That's grace, God's grace, amazing grace. In one moment, God does for Isaiah. What he would never, could ever do for himself. In one moment, just like you and just like me, he goes from guilt to grace. And all of a sudden, he is now worthy and welcome in the Shekinah present glory of Almighty God that no one can look at and live. And now he's got a place there and he's welcome there. Have a look. You're worthy to be here. How could a man like me ever be worthy to be in a place like that? grace. Only God's grace. Only grace can do that. We read in Romans three twenty four, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. You could never do that. You could never do that. You can never make yourself right in God's sight. Only God can make you right in his sight. And that's what he's done. And you don't have to pray a thousand prayers. You don't have to fast a thousand days. And you don't have to crawl a thousand miles. God does that for you in a moment. He does it because he is God, because he is graceful, because he is good. God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through your sincere repentance. No, he didn't. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. What can you do? What can you add to this? We are just as undone. We are just as doomed. We are just as dead as Isaiah was. And then grace happens through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens when grace meets guilt? We become guiltless. And graceful. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what happens to our heart. Next step. Don't forget what I'm preaching about. Now, what happens? Glory and goodness, guilt, grace. Colossians 1.12. Your hearts can soar with joyful... Can you see it on the screen? What's it say? Would you say it again? Would you say it again? That's what happens when guilt meets grace. Gratitude. Gratitude. What happens to a woman... Whose heart has received the grace of God and her guilt is gone. Gratitude. What happens to a man? What happens to a filthy, lipped, sinful man? What happens to a man who's guilty as sin when that guilt meets God's grace? When the glorious goodness of God and that guilt and that, then grace comes. Some people think, oh, well, when grace comes, now I'm just free to sin and do what I want to do. Are you out of your mind the opposite happens. What happens when grace comes is gratitude. And now all I can do for the rest of my life is live a life of amazing gratitude for God's amazing grace. Yes. 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 Gratitude. This is what grace produces in my life. Not flippancy or, 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 you know, no irreverency or a little license to just do what I want to do. Never. The opposite is produced a life of gratitude, and all I want to do is please him. Gratitude. And this is where Isaiah was when he overheard God say, who will go for us? Isaiah had just gone from a vision of the glory of God, the goodness of God, to the guilt of his own heart, to the grace that rescued his very life. To gratitude that was beyond words. And that's when he said, I'll go. Send me. I'll go. Spend me. He didn't ask where? Because it doesn't matter. He didn't ask when? Because it doesn't matter. He didn't ask for how long? Because nothing matters. Except I'm grateful with all of my heart. And so my answer to you, God, is yes. Send me. Yes. Family, if you have a true vision of how good and how great and how glorious God is, if, if, if you have a true sense of how lost and desperate and deprived and wicked your own heart is. If, if you have a true encounter with grace that is greater than all your sin and the gift of righteousness that it brings, then you will live eternally and entirely humbly grateful. And this is where a mission's heart is made. And this was the progression that brought Isaiah from whoa, whoa, to go. And it's the same for us. From glory and guilt and grace and gratitude to go to the Great Commission, to the Great Commission to the last command of Jesus, becoming the first priority of my life. Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. Go. That's what gratitude does. Go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the Great Commission, as we heard earlier this morning, it's going and it's giving. It's going and it's sending. It's going and it's providing. It's going and it's releasing. It's going and it's supporting. And that's what our faith promise card does. We see this in the church in Philippi. The Macedonians were poor they were poor. The Corinthians were rich. Paul was using the Macedonian church to try to inspire the Corinthian church because even though they were poor, they were generous beyond words. The Macedonian church, the, Philippi- the Philippian church, they supported and supplied and sustained the Apostle Paul in all of his missionary journeys. We go and we give from a place of gratitude. Pastor Messer asked me to go to Australia he could, I didn't even know how to spell Australia. I thought he was going to ask me to go to Africa. I didn't know. I, I, I don't care. Yes. I'll go. I'll wrap up three babies. And we'll leave everything we've known and loved. And I wish I had a thousand lives to do it with. I'm so grateful for the cross. I'm so grateful for the grace. We go and we give because grace has come to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. My life is not my own and neither is yours. I've been bought with a price. It's not my own. I'm his. I'm his purchased possession. And so are you. And so is everything that's yours. We go and we give because guilt is gone. I don't give out of guilt. I give because guilt is gone. I give out of gratitude. I'm not a guilty giver. I'm a grateful giver. We go and we give because our guilt is gone. Our sins have been washed away. We go and we give because of the glory and the goodness, the goodness of God who is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. How do we get a mission's heart? What's the process? How do we get from woe to go? His goodness, his glory, his greatness, my guilt, his grace, my gratitude. So let's go. Let's give. The Great Commission. The Great Commission. This is how we do it. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for us today. Now, I actually have one more point, but I'm not going to bring it. I'll, I'll tell it to you in a sentence. It's, all, it's, it's, it's the gravity of what happens if we don't go. It's like the lettuce fields. With only a half a dozen buses and 10,000 acres. There's a a gravity of not doing it. So that's a full another point. But I'm not going to go there this morning. Heavenly Father, I feel really here in Yuma. I'm standing on holy ground. Lord, I remember when we bought this land. I remember putting a shovel in the soil of this land and helping build this place, Lord. Really, Lord, humble beginnings, really. You know, just good people trying to do good for God. And yet, for me, this isn't just dirt. This is holy place because of what it's meant to my life and where my life is today because of this place. And so as I stand here this morning on holy ground, there's a new generation. There's a new generation And I pray that the greatest going and the greatest of giving is not in the history of this church. It's in the future of this church. I pray the generation that's rising up will far outshine the generation that went before it. I pray the gratitude in the hearts today would be stronger than the gratitude that was in the hearts of my day. Lord you do great things the world can be in chaos and confused and we may not know what's going on but there is a God on the throne and there is a commission that he has given and whatever is happening in the earth or with governments or with politics whatever we have a mission and a commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature I pray you will raise up fountains of finance in this house fountains of finance that's coming from pure hearts in a pure stream for the pure purpose of advancing the kingdom of God. Not for the vain and the empty and the stuff that passes away, but fountains of finance. I prophesy them right now into this house. Fountains of finance that will come from a pure stream of a pure heart, broken heart for lost people. And that's where fountains of finances would release hundreds of thousands and millions Lord into the fields of the world like let let this land strike oil all of let it be like an oil well was dug right here on this property and fountains of finance will begin to rise up out of the ground out of this humble simple place in the desert and yet from this place Lord you have already planted thousands of churches and father not only do I ask you and prophesy Fountains of finance. But I also prophesy a stream of those that will go. Maybe Carol and I were, or maybe John and Jodine maybe were the first to go. Carol and I maybe were the second. And I don't know all the other things. But I just pray that what's happened behind us isn't near as great as what's going to happen in front of us. I don't know who's in that children's church over there, Lord. But somebody's over there. There's someone over there, Lord. There's someone in that children's church this morning. I prophesy there's somebody in that children's church this morning, Lord. And so out of this place, let it not only be a fountain, fountain of finance, missions, giving, pure giving, selfless giving, graceful giving, but also going. I pray it. I pray it. And Lord, I pray that we could see it before we die. I pray me and Pastor Messer and, and even though Tom's a lot younger than me, all of us would see this, Lord, that, that love this house and that love this place. I pray that we would see it before we're gone. This fountain of finance flowing out of this house. And Lord, this launching place for the next generation to go into all the world and make disciples. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.